And that, of course, is the intro to Bill English, who is here every Wednesday at this time on this morning's with Carmen show. Good morning, Bill. Hey, good morning. It is so good to be in the aura, the presence of oh, the no. great Dr. Don't, Peter don't, 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 do, don't do that. Yeah, don't, that's, just don't, that doesn't don't end well, do that. Bill. That, that kind of thing doesn't end well. It just inflates <laughs> the head a little bit too much here in the studio. Oh, it's, it is really good to hear your voice again. I know I just, I've appreciated our conversations over the years about Bible and business. I run a business as well. And just what it means to be an, an ethical thinking Jesus following person in the midst of the business world is something I think a lot of people can sympathize with. And you do such a great job of helping shepherd people along the way. And there's a, quite a bit that we can get into this morning. I do want to talk a bit about your new book here coming up in just a few moments, but I was intrigued by headlines. We've been talking a little bit about language choices, and it does seem like linguistic choices in our country are always changing. We just got a text from a listener asking the question about basically, do we call people that we once would have maybe referred to as Native Americans and then maybe indigenous people and then First Nation people? How do we understand all of these choices? And things really do shift and change. And, and in regards to that, I was trying to follow Ruth Kramer's uh, lead in terms of how she was referencing people. But at what point, Bill, do we or do our linguistic choices become almost oppressive in that you better say and talk the right way or else we're going to sort of cancel you? We see some of that in the real estate market right now, don't we? Yeah, we do. The National Association for Realtors has passed a new ethical rule that says, and I'm quoting here, uh, realtors must, and this is both uh, personal and professional communications. Realtors must not use harassing speech, hate speech, epitaphs, slurs based on race, color, religion, sex, handicap, familial status, national origin, sexual orientation, or gender identity. So it's pretty comprehensive. And uh, NAR is basically saying if you're going to be a realtor and you're going to have access to the MLS systems, the multiple listing services that, that realtors use to find homes for people, uh, you can't. You have to really curb uh, what you say, both privately and publicly, and that is a very dangerous place for us to be. We're continuing to see private companies regulate speech, and uh, and really regulate thought, and that is not something that is going to bode well uh, for America, and it's not going to go bode well for us Christians either. And you are an observer of the private enterprise in our country, the businesses that do operate outside of the public sphere. And I'm guessing you've seen over the years, Bill, that when, when a certain momentum on something begins to take root, it begins to grow and it begins to, to change the way we do our life in these ways. And so what do you see in terms of something as, as big as the, the Realtors Network like this, having to change their language, that's something that might be adopted by other businesses relatively quickly. Yeah, it, this this is really a snowball right now going downhill. We saw it with Amazon and Twitter and Facebook on social media, really um, shutting down President Trump and others. That was the beginning of it. But those who supported Trump, like like uh, Mike Lindell, you know Mike uh, down in, uh, right, in the my pillow, uh, yep. sub, yeah, my, my pillow in the southern parts, um, he supported Trump. And so uh, his supply chain is, or not supply chain, his distribution channels are now uh, no longer selling his pillow because of his private speech. Not not because his pillows are bad, his pillows are fine, but because of his private speech, they're now, they're not carrying his product. So we're going to increasingly see, and this is also, by the way, associated with that whole brand purpose where people want to buy 
products from owners and, uh, and, and businesses that stand for certain social and political beliefs. And so we're starting to see both in the distribution channel and in the supply chains uh, this orthodoxy that is uh, really politically based, it is uh, gender based, it is race based, it is individualistic based getting imprinted onto businesses and saying if you don't comply if you don't if you don't say the things that we want you to say or not say the things that you shouldn't say then or or if you say things that that we don't think you should be saying then we are going to no longer do business with you problem is pri- private enterprises don't have to enforce free speech that's only a government that has to enforce that private enterprise doesn't have to do that and and you're seeing this. This is a snowball, Peter, and it's happening across America. It's happening quickly. It's going to negatively affect Christians uh, because I think you're smart enough to know this. Um, hate speech is going to become defined as anything that is controversial against um, uh, gender issues or race issues. And uh, and that's going to put Christians in a difficult position, at least on the gender issues. It really is, Bill. I'd be curious what your thoughts would be, advice, maybe some wisdom into the situation for the Christian business leader out there right now who is thinking about, do, do I resist these things for the sake of the gospel? Do I just need to stay quiet because I might have 10 or 20 or 1,000 employees under my care? And, and knowing that if I do speak up, it's going to risk their livelihood and maybe put them... Um, in, in a difficult place financially as well. How, how do we navigate this? Because I think Christians over the years have responded to persecution, and this is just barely the start of an actual kind of persecution. I get it, but but it is that. It, it went, When you are being discriminated against for your faith and you're seen as sort of being the evil dimension of our society, that being Christianity, things can change pretty quickly. So what advice do you have for Christian business leaders? Do they stay quiet? Do they stand up like Mike Lindell? What, what would you suggest? Uh, well, actually, I would suggest the Matthew 5 approach. Pray for those who persecute you. Do mm. good to them who who are against you. And uh, I, I would, you know, whether you get involved is really a personal uh, decision between you and the Lord. I don't have a blanket generalized uh, piece of advice on that. Here's what I will say. You better uh, start looking closely at your supply chain and your distribution channels. And I'm thinking manufacturing here. Of course, service-oriented companies are a little bit different. But you better start looking at your supply chain and distribution channels and say who is in that chain and start taking a look at how they're responding because they may come to you someday and say, we're not going to sell your product or we're not going to supply you with the paint you know, so you can paint your widgets. And, and you're going to need to have uh, – this is really risk mitigation at this point. You're going to need to have uh, other businesses to pivot to. And maybe you want to go ahead and start uh, uh, pivoting anyway. So, for example, if if in your supply chain you have a supplier who's who's doing eighty percent of part of your work in progress, part of your raw materials, um, I'm sorry, not work in progress, raw raw materials. Maybe you want to low balance that over three uh, vendors now, mm. and 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 you know cover your bets that way, so to speak. Yeah, super helpful advice, Bill English. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I definitely want to get into your book. I know it's been a work in progress for you for quite some time and exciting to come to the completion of this and tell our listeners a little bit more about it here next on Mornings Without Carmen. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the show. It's about 19 minutes after the top of the hour. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge for this week, and we're chatting with Bill English, great friend of the program who does such a good job with the intersection of biblical principles and living life as a business person in this world. And you also, Bill, are going to be a published author here shortly. Tell us about this book. Yeah, this is a book I've been working on uh, for a long time in one way or another, and uh, it's called The uh, Christian Theology uh, of Business Ownership. No one has written a book that I know of that talks about a theology, a biblically-based theology, about owning a business in America. And so that is what this book is about. So tell us uh, some of the main ideas that are underpinning the book. What are you inviting people to think about as a Christian business owner from a theological standpoint? I'm inviting the business owner to take a look at uh, his or her stewardship responsibilities before the Lord and to recast their ownership in stewardship um, uh, roles or words. You know, we, we talked about verbiage earlier, right? Right. And, uh, and, the, and that that stewardship is all-encompassing and that it is something that isn't just about good money management, but it's also about uh, really living in a covenant relationship with God. I recast our, re- our personal relationship as a covenant relationship, and then I expand on that uh, to talk about how we are going to reign with Christ, that our that our work here in on the earth is preparation for reigning with Him, and that uh, leading a, a business is something that um, is preparation for that and is also good for, for what we do here. Um, I talk a great deal about becoming free from the bondage of sin because you're not going to be able to live in a covenant relationship well with God if you're living in sin. I talk about the five uh, foundational passages that I think are um, are necessary for understanding Christian stewardship. Uh, and then I start to apply all this to uh, really core business relationships, partnerships, how we uh, are trusted advisors, how we give and receive advice and wisdom, and also how we engage the unseen world. How do we how do we do spiritual warfare, and how do we hear the voice of God in decision-making, those kinds of things. And then I wrap up the book by talking about the four purposes that God has for business and how to measure your business along those four purposes. Now, one of them is profits, but there's other three. Uh, there's three other purposes that we also need to equally keep in tandem with the with the profits. So that's kind of a really uh, 100,000 foot overview of the book. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of great topics that could really empower people in their day to day life and business. And Bill, I want to pick up on that theme of stewardship that you referenced. I think when we think of stewardship, we so often think of financial stewardship, but there's a dimension of the Christian business owner that needs to be a personnel steward as as well, right? I was just talking in the business that I own with our general manager, and she and I were conversing about some of our employees and, and the idea that, yes, we are a business, and at the end of the day, we only will be a business to the extent that we're profitable and, and, and have a good bottom line, but how do we steward our employees so we're not treating them as if they are simply contributors to the bottom line or social security numbers or in this sort of transactional relationship? What does it mean to see the Imago Dei or the image of God in people that we work with? Yeah, and, and so building them up, <clears throat> right? So that when yeah. they, they are better off when they leave your business than when they come, not just financially, but they're better off professionally and personally as well. And so uh, I, I talk, that's one of the people is, is what I use, is the word I use is one of the four purposes of business. So I have products, people, profits, and philanthropy. Uh, and, and investing in people, growing people, being good to them is one of the core uh, purposes for business. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of philanthropy, how do you get started as a business if you do want to begin to 
Gib, we talked with Ruth Kramer at the at the end of last hour, hour one on this show, and, and she had the encouragement to go ahead and, and as you see the needs in the world around us, just pray about it. It's amazing how quickly God opens doors. What do you suggest as a business if you want to get started with beginning to give some of the resources away? What are some great practical first steps? Obviously prayer about where to go with the money, but then what do you do from there to steward the opportunity in the best way possible? You know, I'm going to take that a little bit different direction because um, over half of the people in America who attend church regularly never give. They never give financially. Interesting. And so uh, this is really a hard issue. And so if if you want to start giving, you first have to have your heart changed. The last thing to come, I, I'm, I'm finding this, that the last thing to come into alignment with God when a person is moving towards God is their money. Hmm. And when they're moving away from God, the first thing that goes away or that comes out of alignment is their money. And that's why Christ said in Matthew 6, show me where your money is and I'll show you what you love, hmm. right? You show me where you spend it, I'll show you what you love. So philanthropy is about loving God. It's about getting our, our affections aligned with him. In fact, I, I go so far as to say in the introduction of the book, I'm just going to quote one, one sentence here. I say, financial generosity is the solution to so many problems in our churches and the individual lives of our members that it is difficult to overstate or exaggerate the importance of becoming generous towards him. Mm. This financial generosity uh, uh, and the lack thereof uh, in, our, in our churches is huge. Business owners have a unique stewardship responsibility because God entrusts us with a revenue-generating engine, right? Right. And so we're the ones who should be leading the way in generosity. We're the ones who should be saying, I'm not just tithing, I'm generous. I'm, I'm giving 30, 40, 50 percent, right? Because a lot of times we have the cash to do it. So uh, this generosity is so important to the to the spiritual maturity of, of the individual believer and the church that its importance cannot be overstated. How do you do that? You get your heart aligned with God, and then you open up your hand and you say, whatever you want, God, I will give it away. Wherever you want me, I will give it away. Look, wealth is a renewable resource. Business owners, we know how to make money, right? That's what we do. So let's not hold on to it. Let's give it away and let's keep making more so that we can keep building the kingdom of God here on earth. It's an incredible invitation there, Bill, that you just said that that usually the last thing to come in alignment is our money. It just makes me think about the temple in Israel in the Old Testament, that in the Holy of Holies, within the presence of God, they had three sacred objects. They had the Ark of the Covenant with the law of God. They had the staff of Moses that through which the miracles of God set them free. And then they had the jar of manna, right? And that was in the wilderness that God brought to them. And if they tried to save up that jar of manna for the future, the next morning it was filled with worms and maggots and, and it couldn't be stored. And I think money is that place that we look towards to secure our future. And God is always teaching us, take your hands off the money, take your hands off of that as, as a secure means for the future. And just trust me as you follow. Well, great stuff as always. When is the book coming out? Do you have a, a date for this? Uh, yeah, it'll be published. It'll be available for electronic download at Amazon and the like Barnes and Noble and other places on February 15th. I, I finish my review of the manuscript uh, in the next few days, and then I got two weeks to get it published. Oh, so great. Well, great to catch up with you again. Thanks for the great wisdom as always, Bill. I'm sure we'll chat soon. 
You bet. Thanks, Peter. Have a good day. Yeah, we'll take a short break for Breakpoint and some bottom of the hour news. And for the last part of our show in the last half an hour of this hour, we're going to be joined by authors Cameron and Stuart McAllister with the book Faith That Lasts, a father and son on cultivating lifelong belief. We do have a giveaway drawing as well. So cue up the text line. Be ready for that. And you know how much Paul Perot loves to see emojis on the text line as well.